Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 318. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. There's been an ongoing theme for our podcast this year, one of reinvention, rebranding, and diversification for everyone in the Slow Flowers community. As creatives, it makes sense. We are multidimensional, and we strive to balance entrepreneurship with artistry in equal measure. Today's guest, Bailey Hale, is one such individual. Bailey and his husband, Thomas McCurdy, established Ardelia Farm and Company in 2011. Today, it is a cut flower farm, floral design studio, and bakery in Vermont's picturesque Northeast Kingdom. Thomas bakes using local organic farm-fresh ingredients to produce everything from chocolate chip cookies to wedding cakes. And Bailey raises specialty cut flowers, supplying farmers markets and florists, as well as providing full-service wedding and event design. I met Bailey in 2014 at the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers annual meeting in Wilmington, where we struck up a brief acquaintance. I learned a lot more about his floral life story a few months ago when we both attended the regional ASCFG meeting that took place in Ontario, Canada's Niagara region. It's amazing what a shared drink in the hotel bar with kindred spirits can lead to. Before the evening was over, I made a point of inviting Bailey to come on this show as a guest. We both agreed to schedule the interview and this episode for early October to coincide with the launch of a new season for Ardelia Farm and Company's spin-off venture, Farmer Bailey. As things happen in our community, we often catch glimpses of each other's activities while scrolling across the screen of a computer or phone. I noticed what Farmer Bailey seemed to be about, and I guessed that Bailey was batching or bundling a number of small orders into large ones, ones large enough to meet minimums set by plug or seed companies. What began as a let's help out friends in the flower farming world gesture has rapidly taken off. And for 2018, it looks like the business whose tagline is custom plug brokerage for professional cut flower farmers will gobble up a good part of Bailey's time. In our interview recorded via Skype recently with me in Seattle and Bailey in Irisburg, Vermont, I learned that seasonal cycles of sourcing and marketing plugs and seeds is somewhat complementary to cut flower farming and floral design. Bailey saw an opportunity to fill a need, and he refined it into a sustainable business venture. I can't wait for you to learn more. 
Be sure to visit our show notes for episode 318 at deborahprinzing.com to see photos and follow links to all of our Delia Farm and Company's social places and to learn whether you qualify to participate in Farmer Bailey's plug program. I'll also add more biographical information for you to read about Bailey and Thomas and how their chicken video went viral and made them more famous than they are now a few years back. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so excited today to have on the line Bailey Hale. Many of you may know Bailey. He's one half of Ardelia Farm and Company in Irisburg, Vermont, with his husband, Thomas McCurdy. And uh, Bailey, thanks for saying you'd jump on the line with me today to talk about all the things you've got going on. Oh, my pleasure, Deborah. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to connect with you in, what was that, August at ASCFG's meeting in um, the Niagara area of Canada. And uh, I, you told me enough to remind me how great your story is and that I really wanted to share it with a wider audience. Um, so can you start by describing Ardelia Farm and kind of what it encompasses and how long you've owned it? Sure. We've been um, on this property um, in the very northeast corner of Vermont for three and a half years now. Um, Thomas and I met in Philadelphia um, I guess in 2011, in the springtime, and then by October of 2011, I had convinced him <laughs> that we should leave the city and start farming. So uh, we uh, started on two different rental properties in New York State, and uh, the time came to buy something, and we didn't quite fit into our community in New York, but uh, Vermont was calling our name. So oh, neat. we uh, bought our place under... I think about four to five feet of snow and ice um, in March of 2011. Wow. Really with no intention of growing flowers or having a bakery. Um, I used to have a floral design business. I actually have a degree in horticulture. And Thomas is a trained pastry chef. But uh, when we left the city, we were planning to start a goat dairy and pastured pork operation, which we tried for a few years. And then... Uh, well, one day we, we moved up here. We had no other jobs, but we had a lot of eggs from all of our poultry. And uh, Thomas just found a couple of farmer's markets and started baking just as a way to make ends meet. <laughs> make get some cash and, flow uh, I knew I wanted to grow some peonies since our peonies flower second week of July up here. Um, and uh, that was about it. I didn't really plan on having this full-fledged flower farm. Wow. So like but in then I went to, five, five or six years Later, here you are, right? Exactly, yeah. So I went to an ASCFG meeting, and uh, I always describe it as I have a horticulture degree. I know how to grow things. And then I also worked as a florist for almost 15 years. I understand what flowers should look like. I know what's out there. But there's just a little gap of information in between of how you produce, how you grow things to make them into that product that mm -hmm. you want to buy. Mm -hmm. So I was at Wilmington. ASCFG meeting was... Uh, really life-changing for me mm -hmm. and for us. Mm -hmm. I could hardly sleep each night because I was wow. just absorbing so much information. And uh, one thing led to another, and here we are. Wow. I We met at that conference, I recall. And um, yes. I, I that's a really lovely to hear. I mean, I have spent my whole life in horticulture as a writer, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my horticulture 
coursework was at like the community college level, you know, in environmental horticulture, very basic. But um, I'm imagining because you went to you were in the Longwood program, right? Um, I was an intern at Longwood for okay. six months okay. um, after after I graduated from the University of Kentucky. Okay, that's right. But places like University of Kentucky, horticulture, BA programs or BS programs, there's not much about the cultivation of cut flowers going on in these days, is there? Not too much. We had a couple of professors who, one who had a design background, and I actually got her to teach um, the design course when I was there. I think there were only three students and it was quite, quite a natural skill for me, but we had a great time. And, uh, another professor who was dabbling some in, in cut flowers, primarily as looking for ways to, um, replace tobacco production in Kentucky since right. that industry was uh, on the downturn, but no, no formal education in in cut flower production, unfortunately. Well, the reason that's why I asked is like, that's the gap you're talking about, right? Like you knew how to, you know, yes. horticulture, you know how to grow all kinds of ornamental and edible plants, but there's something special about production specialty crops, right? That's redundant, but you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So you, you went to ASCFG in Wilmington, you like absorbed, and also that particular conference, as I recall, had a very heavy focus on floral design and you probably, could have been up there teaching if anyone had an idea that that was your like secret, uh, you know, <laughs> secret past life, right? <laughs> yeah, I was I was there to learn, not to uh, well, <laughs> not just to show to learn. up, <laughs> and, I, and I was overwhelmed. But cool. yes, I got more more out of the uh, the technical growing mm-hmm. meetings mm-hmm. than uh, than the others mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. So at the time, that was two thousand fall of two thousand eleven. So is it wasn't it or no? Was it later two thousand? 14. That was I'm trying to remember when that was. Let's see. That was yeah. That was 2014, I believe. Okay. So you already were on your yes. land. You had livestock. You had uh, the bakery. But when you bought that farm under all that snow, did you were you even able to see what kind of soil you had and what what growing environment there was, or was it just not? Even- no, absolutely, absolutely not. We we were renting a farm in New York. We had given notice that we were going to be out of there by April 1st. And uh, we had two less than perfect rental situations. Mm. We said, you know what? The next move is going to be to a farm that we own. Mm-hmm. So we kind of gave ourselves an ultimatum. And uh, yeah, we were out of time. So this little place... <laughs> was the cheapest place we could find in the entire Northeast. It had a house, it had a barn for the animals, and it had some land. But no, we couldn't even see the land because it was so covered in ice. Mm. We actually looked at it uh, during a blizzard. <laughs> I and, love uh, it. We're, if you can succeed after that, then, you know, you're kind of living a magical life. <laughs> <laughs> if we could have picked uh, some different soil and some different topography, we probably would have, but we're uh, bit by bit, we're, mm-hmm. we're changing that. Uh, as we need to. So what is it? What What is the environment like? Is it hilly? Is that why you talk about the topography? Yeah, it's quite quite hilly. Um, the more or less flat areas tend to be very wet. Um, also, just through years of mismanagement, the soil is very um, depleted mm. and has a kind of a clay, a clay base to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just this week, we've leveled off uh, about a half acre where we were putting up two giant new high tunnels. Awesome. Um, hopefully before the ground freezes. Um, yeah. We just can't rely can't rely on field production up here. We only have 90 frost-free days. Um, wow. We're very, very cool. And that's wow. the, cold, the cold weather is an asset for some crops like sweet peas and ranunculus. 
and our late season peonies. But, uh, you know, we can't grow a zinnia or dahlia out in the open. It's just too cold every night. Hmm. Wow. Good sleeping weather. Yeah. We were very well rested. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, compared to Philadelphia, right? I mean, you must have loved the cool air at night. Oh, yeah. It's, it's wonderful up here in the summertime. There's some term that you've maybe you've said or I've heard from other people like there's like like Middle Earth or Inner Kingdom or like what is that term about North Northeast uh, part of the country? Yeah, I should uh, with this these North Northeastern three co- counties in Vermont are known as the Northeast Kingdom. Northeast Kingdom. OK, I love that. That's I, I think there was some governor or senator who referred to them as such <laughs> years ago and, and it kind of stuck and it's kind of true. We're we're really sort of cut off from the rest of the state. It's pretty wild up here. Um, not to, I think it's the most beautiful, most beautiful part of Vermont. The whole state is gorgeous, but yeah. uh, um, it's its own little world. Um, lots of great agriculture going on up here. Lots of, uh, lots of new energy in the dairy world, in the vegetable world, and uh, in the flower world too. Oh, good. Yeah. I want you to send me some photos that we'll share on the show notes for this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, so I kind of got off track. You got inspired by everything you learned at that conference in 2014. And then were you at the time, were you already growing some cut flowers? I think I might have grown a couple a couple roses, zinnias, and sunflowers, just super basic. Just some throw some seeds in the ground kind of thing. Yeah, with wow. minimal success, but just, just for fun that year while I was um, just developing a long-term plan. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to grow... Lots of woody perennials and and peonies, and that's sort of where I wanted thought I would stop. Mm-hmm. But so, after that meeting, I said, <laughs> "Hey, I can do this." <laughs> right. So, where are you now? Um, of the, all that acreage, like how much is devoted? And as you described the two high tunnels you're going to install, so you're kind of still building this, the capacity. Um, but give us a snapshot. Yeah. So we have about I would say an acre and a half in production. Mm-hmm. We do have um, 49 acres, about half open and half wooded. Wow. So uh, we have plenty of room to grow. Mm-hmm. So after that first meeting, I said, hey, we need, we need a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. So I immediately called uh, uh, NRCS and met with them. It sounded quite, quite optimistic that we would get a high tunnel in our first spring. Um, so I just took that as, as a gospel fact that mm-hmm. it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we started seeds and bought everything we needed to plant. Well, that fell through. We did not get a high tunnel that year. Huh. Um, so we decided that we would try our hand at uh, a crowdfunding campaign. And uh, lo and behold, enough generous people um, really just assisted us, gave us gave us such generous gifts that we could build our first high tunnel, which mm-hmm. is really when the flower farm became established. Mm-hmm. If we hadn't, without that leg up, um, we'd probably still be struggling to... Mm-hmm to get this flower business off the ground. So that was like um, spring of 2015, you were able to build the high tunnel or? Yes, yes. Wow, so I've run a successful crowdfunding campaign for Slow Flowers and um, I'm curious to know how you did yours in that you have opportunity to like give people perks. Were you basically like pre-selling shares of flowers in in a way or how did you do it? Well, part of the, the benefit of having a bakery and a flower farm is we can bribe pe- we can bribe people with cookies. So I think uh, that was mostly I think we bribed them with cookies and pork. We were still producing quite a bit of meat at that point. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, tote bags, cookies, and pork were I think were the gifts that we 
dangled in front of people. That's neat. I mean, if you have a most, a most compelling story to tell, I feel like um, you're building community by offering people a chance to help you achieve your dream. And it sounds like that's what happened when you launched that crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, absolutely. This is a kind of a tangent here, but we had this video of our chickens walking in the snow <laughs> in a straight line. Um, they were like March of the Penguin style. And that went, it went viral. There were, I think there's 10 or 15 million views of this thing. No Al Roker way. had it on the Weather Channel and it was on ABC World News Tonight. No and way. it went all over the place. And so we jumped from like 100 Facebook followers to I don't know. We have 20,000 now, and that's just because of this video. <laughs> that's great. Um, so we decided, well, hey, there's enough people who are interested in what we're doing. Like, let's let's give them an opportunity to send us five or twenty <laughs> or five hundred dollars, and uh, that's really what. Oh my god! Yeah, kind of gave us gave us a toehold in the uh, social media world, and we were able to leverage that to actually make some some big improvements on our farm that is amazing so, so you never know when or where those are going to happen but uh exactly got like, lucky. you couldn't have started <laughs> out by saying we're going to create a video of our crazy chickens and it's going to leverage our high tunnel i mean you just had to be sort of op <laughs> open to these opportunities the serendipity of it all absolutely wow so you talked about the 90 frost free days that seems <laughs> bit challenging. I mean, like you could have picked a more a benign climate to be a flower farmer. I'm sure that you've laughed about that in the past, but of course you talked about the quality of life there. How do you make it work? Like, who are you selling your flowers to? And, uh, you know, how's that? Are you, obviously you've got to kind of define the marketplace and then convince the marketplace, right? Yes. It's, uh, it's not easy and it changes a bit every year. We were very lucky um, in our second year here, we were accepted into the Burlington uh, Burlington Farmers Market. Burlington, Vermont is on the other side of the state, but it is just a really thriving, bustling market. And Vermonters um, really do support mm -hmm. local agriculture mm -hmm. of all sorts. Mm -hmm. So that was been a, a great outlet for our flowers and our baked goods. Mm -hmm. Wait, what, um, like I, how far is it? How far away is it from um, Irisburg? Yeah, it's, um, it takes us about two hours. Mm. I mean, it may only be 50 or 60 miles, mm -hmm. but there's just no, no no good way to get there. Sure. I bet it's doable then. I mean, you just kind of build it into your life. Yes, and it's only six months of the year, and then we can recover the other six months. <laughs> We're in, in the home stretch now. The, uh -huh. the bags under our eyes are, are noticeable. But, oh, because uh, <laughs> oh, you have, is it like every Saturday or something? Every Saturday, mm -hmm. yes. Through what? You have a few um, more weeks, or when do you? I end of October. So oh. I guess maybe yeah. five more, but yeah. we can do it. Yeah. Wow. So you have, um, um, uh, a Ardelia farm stand with baked goods and cut flowers or, um, yes. Yep. It's a large, we have, uh, almost 20 feet of frontage and it's e equally divided between our flowers and our baked goods. How neat. Um, yeah, it's really, really eye catching. There's so many people who love both of those things and, uh, you know, we both just love talking about flowers and baking, so we really have a great time at that market. Wow. Um, we're also lucky we have a couple wedding florists that we sell to, mm -hmm. um, kind of tying into how we make it work mm -hmm. in our cold climate. We're really just focusing on those things that we do well, things that maybe other people can't grow this time of year. Um, sweet peas have become our 
primary crop. I think we're planting about 7,000 plants next year. And uh, yeah, I just wow. I just harvested my last, probably my last armful of the season. But they start in July for us and they go almost, I'm sorry, they start in June and go almost um, into October. So well, we never have enough heat to you, stop them. Yeah, you blew my mind because you brought sweet peas to that August conference, as yes. I recall. And I was thinking... Mm-hmm. Wait, how can that be? Um, you know, Washington, because Washington State, Western Washington, is pretty moderate in terms of the environment, and you know, in terms of the nighttime temperatures and all. And people had their sweet peas maybe through June, um, mm-hmm. maybe July fourth, but that was unusual. And so you're like two, almost two and a half months later than that. That's amazing, and people are in yeah, love. Yeah, we're with pretty. Them. Yeah, we're a cold, a cold zone three here. <laughs> wow. We, we hardly ever touch 80 degrees in the daytime and almost every night in the summer, we'll go down into the upper forties or low fifties. Mm-hmm. So, so just that, that nighttime cool off is great for, well, really for spring, for spring plants. And that's kind of what we focus on, but we grow them all summer and into fall. That's so neat. I, I love it. I love it. You sort of said, look, this is the reality. Let's not fight it. Let's, let's exploit it. And well, people love sweet peas. They love ranunculus. They love anemones. Um, I still have anemones blooming in the out in the field from from spring planting. Wow. Um, so with the yeah, with, with the new high tunnels, will you have a chance to start things earlier as well? Or I know you already have one greenhouse, so or one high tunnel. But what's your start date? Yeah, these will pretty much uh, quadruple our our uh, greenhouse production. The the one that's already standing, we're gonna we will start heating this year um, on March first. It's kind mm-hmm. of the start of our season. Mm-hmm. We'll start. I'll start sprouting ranunculus a bit before that and sowing sweet peas indoors. But then we'll plan on planting that that first tunnel March first, and then by April first, the days are getting long enough that we'll we'll be able to start planting um, the new tunnels. Mm-hmm. One will be entirely sweet peas, and then the other will be probably five or six successions of ranunculus, um, almost exclusively ranunculus. Wow. But that you'll keep um, going for months and months and months and months. You won't like replace that real estate with something later in the summer. Yeah. I think we'll have them into all, all the way through July is my goal next mm-hmm. season. So with all that production, are you intense anticipating shipping product or just filling demand in your local market or in the state of Vermont? Um, the next step is to experiment with shipping. We do plan to ship ranunculus and sweet peas in 2018. Um, That's awesome. And then we are we're only three and a half, four hours from Boston. If we need to drive um, dry yeah. product down into a wholesale market, we can get there. But uh, financially, we would always rather sell. Really selling to a florist is kind of the sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. They, they appreciate the product. They're willing to pay a nice price for it. Not as much as retail, but they buy in volume. Yep. I have one woman who's just addicted to my sweet peas and she'll buy, you know, 30, 40 bunches whenever she can. A florist, so, a florist. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, are you, when you are at this, uh, either at your farmer's market or as a separate facet of your business, are you uh, doing any floral design work um, either for weddings or for flat farmer's market customers? Um, I certainly do some bouquets and arrangements on the spot for people. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just bring um, just stems and single variety bunches to market. 
and then I'll make up things on the spot. But uh, I find it just takes too much time on a Friday to make bouquets for market. And we have two other ASCFG members who sell at our market, another farm, diversified farm that grows um, some really nice cut flowers, and then probably four veggie farmers who also bring flowers. So oh. there's a lot of flowers at that market wow. and a lot of bouquets already. So wow. we just don't, uh, we, yeah. we don't bother with bouquets there. Um, we still do a few weddings per season. That does get difficult with uh, Saturday. Obviously, weddings are on yeah. Saturdays and markets yeah. are on Saturdays. Yeah. Um, we're not really trying to find more of those events, okay. but they keep finding us. <laughs> so, well, the reason I brought that up is let's just talk briefly about your background and 15 years in a very successful floral design business in Philadelphia. I mean, that's like a deep secret that um, I was delighted to hear about. And just obviously, <laughs> uh, maybe because I'm just so familiar with the Philadelphia Flower and Garden Show, you you had a lot of wins there and kind of were a local flower celebrity. And, and you just walked away from all that to, to grow flowers. So without like putting you on the you know therapy couch, can you talk about <laughs> that that transition in your life? Well, yeah, I landed in Philadelphia um, after, so after I was an intern at Longwood mm-hmm. Gardens, I actually moved to Cincinnati, Ohio for a year to study opera. I do have a degree in in vocal performance as well as my bachelor, bachelor's of science in horticulture. Wow. Um, so I thought I was going to conservatory. Um, my professor said, you know what, you should go live go live somewhere that you really love. I didn't, I didn't really fit in with Cincinnati that well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I said, okay, I like Philadelphia. I'm going to go there. Mm-hmm. So I just moved with no job and no real direction. Um, pretty quickly met the chorus master of the opera company there. And I sang with the opera company for 10 seasons, but I also didn't want to stop doing horticulture. There wasn't much in the way of horticulture downtown. So I started, doing some uh, design work and uh, worked for a shop briefly and then just started my own business and word of mouth got a handful of weddings and then met other designers. And uh, I think in 2009, I started a business called Moda Botanica mm-hmm. um, with a, a friend of mine. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. M-O-D-A. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my good friend, Armas Kohler, who's from, from the Bay Area of California, um, and studied Ikebana. He's just one of the best designers I know. Wow. And uh, I said, hey, I want this guy. I want this guy on my side. Mm. So uh, with a, a third person, we started this business. We somehow got invited to uh, be major exhibitors in the Philadelphia Flower Show in our first year. We quite surprised ourselves when we won Best in Show at our very first attempt. I love it. I love it. That's so cool. <laughs> and then we did and we did it again the next year. Wow. So uh, we really had a great time. Um, there I had a very kind of modern European, Japanese kind of experimental style. Yeah, you were um, showing me some of the photos when we were together on your phone, and I was just like so enchanted by this world you created. It, it must have... Really? Yeah, it must have just been really a fun ride, the, even though it was exhausting, I'm sure. It was. And the more we got into, uh, you know, forty dollars and $50,000 weddings, it stops being about the flowers and the design so much. It's just about contract negotiation and stroking egos. And and it just wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. We never made that much money from the business. It kept us afloat, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It, 
is a, you know, we wanted to just work with flowers and that's really about 10 or 15% of the business yeah. when you get to that scale. Yeah, seriously. Were you also singing at the same time? Um, yes, I was. Oh, geez. Yeah. So the, the little old country life must be just like 180 degrees opposite of your, <laughs> your crazy, you know, culture and arts life when you were in the city. It really is. I had, uh, when I bought my house in Philadelphia, I had the great fortune of accidentally buying the, the lot next door to my house. <clears throat> so that allowed me to put in a big vegetable garden and I had some chickens and beehives yeah. mm, and the, the chickens, the chickens were not actually legal. And mm-hmm. then one day the authorities came knocking and, uh, I said, you know what? I enjoy these chickens more than I enjoy most of my days in Philadelphia. Like, mm. let's, let's, let's go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what I guess I got, that. got Thomas on the right day. And he said, okay, that's crazy. <laughs> let's, let's try it. <laughs> wow. That's such a great story. And, and I guess, I guess you've just always been honest with yourself. When something stopped being fun, you didn't keep doing it just for the money, even though so many people do that in life and cause it's hard, it's scary. And sounds like you guys ran out of money and you just started using your eggs to bake stuff and go to the farmer's market. Like you found a way. And, uh, I love that. It's really impressive. Yeah. We've never been, never been afraid to reinvent ourselves. Yes. Well, so now you've reinvented yourself yet again. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice, nice little segue there. Thank you, Bailey. Um, I guess, it reinventing isn't exactly the right term, but you've added a new facet to your business. And this came on my radar just from watching you on social media earlier this year. Mm-hmm. You've started a kind of a, a sister business to the farm, right? Yes. It, uh, it was kind of, kind of an accident. Um, we, uh, I guess it was two years ago. <clears throat> because of my floral design background, I knew of, I knew what product was available from, from Holland and from mm-hmm. Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, but I also knew that I didn't see Americans growing it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this specifically these Roseanne Lysianthus, brown Lysianthus, because I mean I hope color trends might be changing a little bit, but at that point it was all neutral and drab. Yeah, um, and, just to clarify, you were only doing the Roseanne Lysianthus at that time. Yeah, I think it was the Roseanne and the Dublini, those little the little tiny ones, but just six varieties of Lysianthus, okay. and that's it. Okay, so these were six varieties of Lysianthus that you knew you had used when you were, you know, in a, an urban flower floral designer, but you just hadn't seen <clears throat> being grown in the U.S. Is that basically the ones you selected? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, that's that's it, one hundred percent. And after that first year of people growing them and trying them, they wanted them again mm-hmm. and they wanted other things. And people started asking me for this and that. I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not a broker. I don't really know what I can and can't do, but I'll, I'll try to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of, part of having such a short season is I do have time to go on these quests to find new material. I love it. Uh, so I really had to do a little little begging with grow and sell to produce a wider range of cut flowers but um last november they agreed to and uh i don't think any of us them included knew how well this year would grow would go either we uh i think i got them to grow maybe 75 or 80 novel varieties in addition to the cut flowers they were already producing 
And uh, I'm not sure what either of us expected, but it was probably just many, many times more uh, more sales than I would have ever hoped for in the first year. Wow. So where is uh, Grow and Sell based? So Grow and Sell is based just outside of Philadelphia, which is convenient for me since I still have lots of friends and yeah. contacts down there. Yeah. And so basically, um, they're they're kind of in that. Is that what they they call the like a plug business or liner business? I mean, it sounds like they supply greenhouses and <clears throat> small, you know, veggie and flower farms already. And you just kind of add it on to their their product selection. Is that correct? Or yeah, that's that's correct. Yep they they're a, they're a plug grower. That's all they do is grow grow baby plants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Primarily for the bedding plant industry. That's, um, oh. I don't know, 90, 95% of what they produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they've always had this little sideline of cut flowers, and they've been strong supporters of ASCFG for years and have really been trying to find more people to buy these cut flower plugs. But they just weren't quite making that connection with the customer. Right. Like, well, that, that's interesting because I've got a big group of customers right here who want a whole lot more than they can find. So you're basically, so, uh, you're basically becoming this, um, well, I hate to use this word, but like this curator of, uh, the universe of what's available and trying to, or be, you know, kind of their, your the creative director, somebody who's, who's filtering through all kinds of options and saying, here's the ones that my peers and I all want. The, we'll just we'll make it easy for you. These are almost like pre-sold before they plant them. Then, right? Yeah, absolutely. They. Uh, it's brilliant. You know, they don't have the they don't have the time to be looking through all the catalogs and talking to breeders and seeing what's out there. And they also don't know the current wedding color trends. Mm-hmm. And they're not talking to flower farmers all the time who are looking for specific products. So I'm definitely helping inform what they grow. Um, on one end, and then I know the people on the other end who want to buy it. So mm-hmm. it made sense for me to become to become a full fledged broker mm-hmm. and create a kind of a separate business. Then farmer, it's farmer Bailey. Yeah, just farmer Bailey. Okay. Dot com. Okay. Um, we also put it all all online. Um, there's not many options for ordering plugs online, and most of my most of my flower farmers are. <laughs> out working in the field all day and it's mm-hmm. hard for them to stop you know between nine and five to make that call mm-hmm. um people i would say you know pour yourself a glass of wine and log on the site <laughs> well you know in, exactly yeah like in anticipation of us uh doing this interview i checked out the site and it looks like it's kind of a member only site or you'll have to establish an account uh to be able to get in and look at it and then you have a facebook group as well or how do you how do you uh suggest people access this this uh, if, if someone's listening to this who's interested sure yeah so there is um you have to fill out a very basic profile just so i know who you are and where you are um it is a wholesale business we're mm-hmm. not selling retail mm-hmm. um so with that basic information you're declaring that you are a professional flower farmer and then it's uh, very easy to log in. I started a, there is a Facebook group also, just as a way to avoid sending out so many emails to everyone. Yeah. Um, and also just a place, a place where people can say, hey, I'm really looking for blank. And someone else can say, hey, I'd like that too. And then I can kind of gauge interest. Right. I can't, we can't grow everything 
you know, on, on a whim. But if I have 10 or 15 people who all show strong interest, then that's, that's enough. Uh, there's a critical mass there to mm-hmm. make it worth growing cells time. You know, sometimes when we're importing cuttings from Israel, you need 2,000 cuttings at a time. But by working through me, I can break that up into, you know, in kind of bite-sized chunks so people can get one tray of something rather than buying all 2,000 themselves. That is amazing. That is phenomenal. So now that you say you have 75 to 80 novel varieties, that's what you're going to introduce later this in October of 2017, correct? Yeah, almost everything I offered last year, and there were, I mean, there had to have been close to 100 varieties. Um, I think we probably have 30 or 40 new items that will be added to that collection. Fabulous. And the time as trends as trends change, you know, mm-hmm. we'll stop producing some items, and as we find sources for other things, there will be always be new, um, always be new offerings for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So, can you highlight a few that are new that will be kind of coming online um, once you go live in, in early October? Oh, sure. Well, the um, I don't think there's any major new developments in the Lysianthus world. There was one that we were able to help roll out last year, um, but I think not enough people had heard of it, and I think it's going to be a really popular variety or series next year. Um, Bred by Sakata, the Voyage series, they call it. Um, Just super, super roughly petals, Mm. very, very double flowers Mm. in a full range of colors. The handful of people who did try them this year um, really seem to like them. So I think we'll have the the full line of those. Um, I don't know, the Madam Butterfly Snapdragon has been around for a few years, mm-hmm. but finally available in straight colors. So we're going to have it, I think, in eight different colors and a mix this oh, year. Oh, I um, see. So before you could only get the mix, and, and people maybe only wanted one or two specific <clears throat> petal colors in that range, and, and now they can do that. Sure, unless you're yeah. selling, you know, selling at a farmer's market, the mix is great. Right. You know, color sells. But if, you're, if your bread and butter is just selling to wedding florists, you know, they don't want... They don't want hot pink and yellow right now. They want apricot um, or whatever, yeah. They, yep, apricot and cream and maybe some white. <laughs> cool. Oh, brilliant. I love that. And are um, you we'll also, you're, also the, you're selecting what you personally love too, I'm sure. Well, sure, yeah. And, and I, I try I trial almost everything that I'm selling. Um, I want to know if it's, uh, yeah, if it works. Be. Yeah. One, one big one thing that we were able to bring into the U.S. this time or this year for the first time, these uh, scoop scabiosas, these big hybrid scabiosas in a full range of colors. Um, and unlike the annual scabiosas, they keep flowering, at least for us, they flower all season. Now, we have a cool climate. They really seem to love it here. But traditionally, or until now, they've just been grown in Israel and then along the equator. So it was kind of an experiment for a lot of people this year to uh, see how they responded in their given zones. Um, so it's a, there's a, there's a nice, nice dialogue that happens, especially on that Facebook group. So I can find out what people's response is, what they're looking for. Um, yeah, it's, it's really a lot of fun. Yeah. And then you're getting like anecdotal in, uh, in real time feedback about the, how these plugs grow on, what their performance is zone by zone. I mean, that's a lot of intel to be able to share with, you know, your peers around the country. And it, and it helps that I, I really enjoy the subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's cool. I mean, I feel like there's a few things that uh, people would go bonkers about 
with, for example, I always hear about the, you know, things coming out of Japan that are inaccessible in the U.S. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe in, maybe like some sweet peas and some ranunculus. Um, I don't know. Is that category something? I mean, I know ranunculus are corms and that's probably a different animal than seed grown varieties, but um, are you bringing things in that previously was not available except for through Japan? Um, or is that harder? Yes and no. There are the what we see coming from Japan are by and large um, the Japanese breeders or Japanese growers breed a lot of their own product. Mm. So it's patented. They're pretty, they're, pretty pre- they're rather protective of mm. what they've created, mm-hmm. and and rightfully so. They have some amazing genetics. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, of course, there are some other seed companies who have strong breeding facilities in Japan, and there's some crossover between the two. Um, but yeah, some things like sweet peas are best grown from seed. Um, the best sweet pea seeds are still coming out of England. Mm. They, uh, you know, the Japanese produce gorgeous stems. They don't, they don't sell their seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and ranunculus are best grown from corms. Um, but yeah, I know, the, I know the ones you're talking about and mm-hmm. people ask me about them mm-hmm. all the time. Um, mm-hmm. if I can, if I can get my hands on some corms, maybe I'll, get into the corm and seed business <laughs> just a little bit but for now for now just plug sounds like your plate is pretty full um it, this is so 2000 the ones that you're going to s- r- reveal and kind of open the you know open the, the shopping up to in october that's really only your second full season uh with farmer bailey even though the, is that right or even though you had done the the sort of ad hoc um order two years ago or Correct. Yeah, the first year was just uh, a favor, a favor amongst friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that I'm formally a broker with Grow and Sell, um, yeah, the that business is really not even a year old yet. It started wow. in late November of uh, of last mm-hmm. year, so mm-hmm. we're going into our first full season. You know, I've learned a lot. Wow. Um, Grow and Sell learned a lot about uh, what it is that cut flower growers want, and we're just really excited to. Um, have things up and running earlier this year when uh, yeah. you know so have, people, have items available when people are ready to order and people plan over the winter and they can place their orders and then um, uh, have a a preset delivery or shipping date. Is that sort of how or you recommend when they should be shipped or how does that work? I guess it depends on where they are where you are in the country. Yeah, we have such a such a range of growers um, in all different climates. And I'm trying to be trying to have items available for everyone, but then there's also so many new growers, which is wonderful, mm-hmm. and they need a little handholding sometimes. Mm-hmm. They don't know when the best mm-hmm. time is to uh, plant lysianthus, so I I try to be available as much as I can. Sometimes I get a little overwhelmed with with emails, and I try to you know, <laughs> encourage some of that conversation to happen on the Facebook group right. just so that other other growers can can offer a hand also. Yes, I'm going to recommend generous... that. <laughs> Don't email Bailey. <laughs> Go on the Facebook page. <laughs> I, if I have time, I love talking flowers with anyone. Yeah. And I'm happy to happy to offer advice to anyone I can. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, sometimes when you have, you know, 50 to 190 emails that show up overnight, you it takes all day to, to get through them all. And well, yeah. I don't always have time. Wow, I'm glad I got you when I did because now you probably have to go <laughs> rush to to get ready for tomorrow's farmer's market and um, 
Phil Smith. Gotta go pick Lizzie Anthus, actually. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I think it's really exciting and it's so interesting because last weekend I got to I went and visited uh Janet Foss um in mm-hmm. Chehalis, Washington, uh to record her for a podcast, and she just made some comment about getting plugs in and I think she has somebody in the in our area in Washington State who she's working with, but her comment was just so insightful and helped me understand why your business is so successful or is just like as a brand new business already successful. And she said, if I have seeds and I start them, I I don't know how many uh, are going to be viable. And, you know, when you can buy plugs, they're already started. And I don't know if that's part of the rationale. I mean, I, I know some of it has to do with hard to things like Lysianthus that don't easily start from seed. But I mean, is that sort of why people want to do this? Is it like a more like a lower risk? You're willing to pay a little bit more because of that? Um, All of that is true. I, I always encourage people like keep starting seeds and keep refining that skill because I think plant propagation in general is a dying art and we, we need growers who know how to do that. On the other hand, if you have just gotten bitten by this farmer florist bug this year and you want to grow two acres of flowers and you want to do weddings and all of it, and you've never grown anything before, buying a plug really takes a lot of the guesswork out because you know it's going to show up when you want it, we hope. But, you know, I'm just thinking in my mind, I see a tray of snapdragons right now, 216 of them, all perfect, all the same height, all ready to go in the ground. And you're going to succeed with that. And while you're figuring out how to grow your own up to that level, um, which you may never be able to do without a heated greenhouse, um, at least you can, you know, if you, if you have a bad, a bad time with your seedlings and you lose 80% of them and you're left with 20 little plants, um, you're, you're not going to have any flowers to sell. Right. So if you can buy those plugs, know they're going to show up in good shape. Um, I think you're going to be, you're, you're five steps ahead already. Right, right. Um, but yeah, they are expensive. It's a lot of greenhouse time. You know, think of a Elizianthus. It spends about three months in production just to get it up to a half inch of height. Yeah. They're very slow and they need to be grown in the winter so that, you know, the customers can be planting them in March or April. Yeah. So they're in a, in a heated greenhouse all winter, lots of input, lots of attention. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really what you're paying for is, is greenhouse time and heating but it saves you from having to buy a greenhouse and having to heat it. So yeah. when you really look at the numbers and think about, you know, that 19 cent snapdragon might give you 10 stems of flowers. If you pinch it, you know, you might get five stems and you might get five more later in the season. And uh, if you really think about your investment versus the return, plugs really make, make a lot of sense for a lot of crops. That's really good advice. I appreciate you mentioning the kind of a dual approach, like, you know, don't, don't stop trying to grow seeds and learning what's best for you and your farm. Uh, I love that. That's, that's good advice for gardeners as well. Like, you know, we just have seen so few people grow anything from seed anymore. And in, in the home garden world, I'd love to, you know, advocate for, you know, the, the home gardener to start, you know, to not just go buy their four inch pots uh, or their flats. And it's for the same reason. So I appreciate that. And, uh, I love what you said about like they've gotten bit by the bug and inst- there is some a bit of instant gratification with um, that Farmer Bailey offers. And hey, I'm all about that. So 
That's wonderful. You make a lot of people happy. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could I could tell you all day why you should buy plugs. Um, <laughs> personally, on our farm, I'm finding we are so cold; it doesn't make sense for us to heat a greenhouse long term. But it's elite, you know, especially for my first my first big planting. Um, that would happen in early March. That's going to be like my stock and snapdragons, mm-hmm. um, some of my lysianthus, all those cool season things. Um, it makes so much sense to buy that first planting, buy it in. Mm-hmm. Also, I'd like to take a vacation in the winter. Mm-hmm. And if I need to be starting seedlings in January, and I know that if I miss one watering, like there goes my my profit in August. Right, just, right. Just out, outsource that for brilliant. the first crop especially. That's brilliant. Um, and then lysianthus, eucalyptus, those things that just take forever. Let the let the experts do it. I would, I've done them, and uh, I never will again. But uh, grow and sell does a really great job. Yeah, I love it, and also just the the you know experience that you have. You're 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 selling to people who are like you, and they realize that you've done all this sort of research for them and trialing these plants. It's, you're not, you're not just selling widgets, you're selling, you know, viable varieties that, you know, you know, you want, so you, you obviously know your, your, your peers want. So I, I think there's some authenticity to that too. I think there's a lot of, uh, this will be my last, my last reason why you should buy plugs. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of people growing flowers for sale now that have kids that have another job or two mm-hmm. and just adding that one layer of complexity of figuring out how to grow, yeah. you know, really healthy starter plants. Um, it's just a little too much. And they, yeah. you know, they, they have their nine to five job that they can, it's much easier for them to just, you know, time when they want their plugs to show up, Brilliant. get them in the ground and they're, they know they're going to have a great harvest. That's awesome. And, uh, and see some see some returns in the first year rather than, than floundering for a bit longer. Great. So will you share some photos um, from your new catalog um, that we can put in the show notes for today's episode at DebraPrinzing.com? And um, we'll put all the links for people, you know, so people who don't know about you can um, start start doing a little shopping and planning for next season. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. And just one final question, Bailey. Do you sell into Canada or is this for U.S. only? Um, or is that... F- uh, for today, for day, <laughs> it's U.S. only at the moment. Yeah. Unless um, unless somebody wants to drive down and... I mean, it sounds like you could have a friend in the USA order it and they could drive down and get it kind of thing, but it would be sort of uh, unofficial. That would be unofficial. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't tell you to do that. Right. Um, I can tell you that people do that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you do lose. I mean, you have the risk of, of it being seized and then right. you're out. Um, you know, not an insignificant amount of money in some cases. Um, it is something we're looking into. The uh, The real problem is every box that goes across has to have its own certification. Yeah. And that's another $30 per box. And it just gets really expensive. Yeah. And they can get held they can get held at the border for an extra five days or a week or longer. Yeah. And the plant is just not going to be alive by that point. Yeah. Just thought Um, I, I thought I would ask, I'm sure you get asked that question as well. So. Yeah, I'm definitely working on it, but we're not, we're not there yet. There'll be a grand announcement if we figure out this, (laughs) uh, the big Canadian puzzle. Don't you worry. (laughs) Hey, living in Washington state, uh, I'm very familiar with bringing plants across the border from BC and, and every horticulture event I go to has somebody, 
filling out those FIDO forms. So I, I totally get it. It's, it's, it's a little bit labor intensive and at the quantity you're doing, I don't know how you could do it. So good luck on that. But. Yeah. And we're, we're only, we're only 15 miles from uh, the border of Quebec ourselves here. So that's uh, true. That's true. We're, we're well acquainted with the border, but, uh, but the plugs are all being grown in Pennsylvania. They're not, they're not grown up here in Vermont. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to share this, uh, with our listeners and, um, also to see have some photos to share and um i'm really happy that we reconnected at uh at the ascfg conference so i could hear more about your story so um thanks a lot thanks for taking the time to do this oh yeah thank you deborah really fun okay talk to you soon bye bye much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 242,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. If you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of the podcast. Thank you to our family of sponsors, including Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality, American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at 
kinetictreefitness.com. Thank you.